but I'm going to do something I normally do. I'm going to read a verse, and then I'm going to depart from it, all right? In fact, I'm kind of against that. Y'all know that. I don't think you ought to preach like that. But uh, just got more of a topical thought on my heart, and it got a little bigger than what I thought, so I'm going to just start it, and then we'll see where it ends up, and then I'll pick it up some other time, all right, and finish it. I'm not going to get it all in uh, this morning. And, uh, but I would like to start with this verse and kind of just start here and get this verse in our heart and in our mind. And then I want you to go with me to some different places in the Word of God. And uh, we're going to look at uh, kind of take a more topical approach to the Scriptures this morning. You know me, I like to take a text, stay in that text, preach that text. And that's normally what I do, but uh, just feel led to take a different approach this morning as, and probably next Sunday morning as we uh, have been looking at our, um, our homes and, and speaking about our homes, about homes for the holidays, and that's kind of been what's on our heart. One verse, and it's verse number three, all right? Verse number three. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Can I read that one more time? It's so short. It's just one verse. Psalmist David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now that is a verse that I have quoted or read or used uh, in several different wedding ceremonies, I've read that verse right there. And sometimes I've had the, have had the couple ask me specifically to read this verse or to put this verse in there because they use that as kind of a, a life verse for them together. Um, and it is because there is a partnership in this verse. Do you see that? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. David is calling out to somebody here. We're not sure exactly who he's speaking with. Probably, you can get the context above verse number one, the little superscription there. Probably whoever's near him, right? Worship the Lord with me. And I'm going to just tell you something. There's something about worshiping God. When God really helps you, when God really does something and thrills your soul, you can't contain it. you got to tell somebody what the Lord has done. Am I right on that? And then it's not just enough that, 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 that you want to worship the Lord. You want people to worship God with you. And there's got to be that, that. There's something powerful about partnership in worship. That's why we come together as a church, right? This is called corporate worship. This is when we come together. Can you worship God by yourself? I hope you do. Yes. The answer is a thousand times yes, and I hope that you do. You ought to, no doubt about that. Can you praise God by yourself? Absolutely, and I recommend it. Amen. Ten out of ten stars on that, okay? Definitely recommend that. Uh, but is there something powerful and poignant about corporate worship. Yes, yes there is, absolutely, and God commands it. In fact, if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, then you are disobedient to the Word of God. Uh, we are to come together and worship God together. You need it, I need it. Amen, no doubt about that. But there is also, and the reason I think I've been asked to use this in weddings, and I've used it in weddings, is because there's also... A, an element where uh, 
the, one of the greatest partnerships that you'll ever have and the most intimate of partnerships that there ever will be in this life is that of husband and wife. Can I get a witness right there? And when a husband and wife can worship the Lord together, it is a beautiful, wonderful, blessed thing. And that's what I want to look at in the Word of God. I, was, I got four different texts on my heart this morning. And my plan was to preach all four of them until uh, I started maybe typing out something. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be merciful and I'm going to preach two of them this morning and I'm going to preach two of them later, all right? And so I want to look at, and that's what I want to preach on just for a few minutes. I want to look at the Bible and, and look at couples at worship. Couples at worship. Couples and how they, uh, how they uh, interact with worship and respond to worship. Like I said, husbands and wives, uh, that, is, that, that is the most intimate of all relationships. In fact, here's what Jesus said, and you know this text, what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, have you not read? He's talking to the Pharisees, and I love when he asked them that question because it was just like poking them in the eye, wasn't it? Just have, I mean, these people that thought they knew the Word of God better than anybody else, and he'd always ask them, have you not read? I mean, just, just to get at them, I like that. And I wanted to put this verse in here with it because we need this verse in these days in which we're living in. Here's what he said. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, listen, made them male and female. I'm going to need a good amen right there. He made them male and female. And that's the only two there are. Amen. If I had a dollar for every gender there was, how many dollars would I have, class? That's right. I'd have two dollars, okay? That's all they is. They is no more, okay? So male and female. Now, that doesn't really have to do with what the point I'm getting at, but I just thought, you know what? We need, to, we need to quote that verse as much as we can in these days, all right? And here's what he said. He goes on to say this. Here's what Jesus said. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be what? One flesh. That is intimate right there. That is as close as you could possibly get. Two becoming one. In fact, Jesus said, the next verse, Wherefore they are no more twain. They're not two anymore. But one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The miracle of marriage is a togetherness that really we cannot fully comprehend and really, we cannot fully describe. Two become one flesh. In fact, it's not the preacher that joins them together. The Bible says what God hath joined together. It is God that joins together two and makes them one. And that togetherness ought to be in absolutely everything. In fact, when I preach to couples when I do their wedding, I always try to say something like this, and I try to get it in there and let them know, listen, you're not two anymore. You're one. You are one. It is not mine and it's not what I got and it's not my life and my time and my money and my kids and my... No, it ain't that way anymore. You are one. You don't just do what you want to do all willy-nilly like you some single guy, amen, or like you some single woman because you're not anymore. If you want to live a single life, don't get married. Amen. If you don't want anybody telling you what to do with your money or checking in your bank, don't get married. Amen. Stay single. If you're married, I'm sorry. You're together. Amen. And some of y'all, I'm really sorry. I'm, I really pray for y'all. 
I'm talking about in finances and all the decisions that are made and child rearing and future planning and intimacy and fellowship and all kind of things. It is one. And especially, especially when it comes to this area of worship because what it seems like is, it seems like a lot of couples tend to compartmentalize every part of their life and they take, okay, we have our finances together and we have our, uh, our future together and we have our children together and we have our, 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 our physical relationship together and we have all these things together. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to worship, you do you and I'll, I'll, I'll do me. I'm going to tell you, that's not the way God intended the home to be. Amen. It gets real weird for some when spiritual matters come up in the home because we leave that at the church. We leave that, you know, that's for Sunday school class, that's for service at home. We don't talk about spiritual matters. And there is church worship, but I'm going to tell you what there also ought to be in your life. There ought to be household worship. There ought to be merit ought to be marital worship in your life. And I will say this, just because you got two saved people that are married to each other, that doesn't mean they have a Christian home. Amen. Christians in the home do not equal a Christian home. Two Christians in a marriage, that does not make a Christian marriage. Amen. Just because you got two saved people married to one another does not mean that it's a spiritual marriage. A Christian home is one where God, listen, is front and center in absolutely everything that goes on. A Christian home is a home where there is not a shame or reservation to speak about the Lord, to worship Him together, to pray together, to serve the Lord together in that home and especially in that marriage. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. In fact, I don't want you to answer it out loud. Do you have a Christian home? Is your home centered around the God of this Bible and, and the Word of God and the service of God? and the things of God. If it is not, then you do not have a Christian home. If it's weird to bring up the Bible, if it's not normal to pray together as a family, then you do not have a Christian home. You have a house where Christians live together. And they talk about food and they talk about money and they talk about pleasure and they go on vacation together and they talk about the future and they talk about plans and they talk about all kind of things. But they leave the Lord out of their marriage. Amen. Everybody okay this morning? I'm not expecting a revival to break out or anything right now. I'm just making sure everybody's still breathing. I'll take my glasses off so I don't have to look at all your faces. It's just a bunch of fuzziness out there. So I don't know if you're happy or sad or whatever. In fact, that's, that's enough. I'm going to tell you. It's good. I want to look at some couples in the Bible. Can we do that? 
and, and their relationship, their worship life. All right? We're just going to look at two. I want to preach four, but I'm, I'm already getting hungry. All right? So Genesis 3. Why don't we look at the very first one? Is that a good one to start with? The very first one. Genesis 3, when somebody says that chapter to you, that ought to automatically make you think of the fall of man, of man, sin entering into the world. In fact, I heard one preacher say this, that everything in your Bible is written to offset Genesis chapter 3. Everything else. Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 22 is written to respond to what takes place in Genesis chapter 3. At the end of the book of Revelation, you have what God, a new heaven, a new earth, and God putting everything right that man had done wrong in Genesis chapter 3. And so we know that it's the fall of man. And the Bible says in verse number 6, I'm going to take for granted that you kind of know the serpent and the, and the conversation that's going on here, but in verse number 6, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So when they sinned, they sinned what? Together. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were open. This is a together thing. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. Now, I know it means the fig leaves were together, but they were together when they were sewing fig leaves together, all right? And made themselves apron. This is all, this is all uh, 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 plural pronouns here. They and them and together. Everybody together. And they, verse number 8, heard the voice of the Lord God. Don't miss this walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Let's stop right there just for a moment. Did you notice what happened immediately when sin entered the world? They sinned together. They felt shame. For the first time, this couple has felt shame together, and what did that shame of sin, what did it lead them to do? What did it drive them to do? What did it cause them to do? Verse number 8, it caused them to hide themselves. Here comes the Lord, here comes God, here comes the presence of God, and it seems like and, 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 and I guess maybe we need to study just a little bit better to really figure this out, but it seems like to me that this was probably a common occurrence, that this was something that was usual. It was not something unusual. It did not something that, 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 that took them off guard necessarily. It sounded like something God expected to see them. They expected to see God. But now something has changed. Their worship life their fellowship life with God has been drastically altered by what? By sin. And what sin has brought, it has brought shame in their life. Can I lay, here's how I want to label this couple. Number one, the first couple that we're looking at here, which is literally the first couple in the Bible, they're, number one, I want you to see a couple that is distant in worship. 
They are distant in worship. They have removed themselves. They have separated themselves from the fellowship of God. They have separated themselves from the presence of God. They are no longer able to enjoy the fellowship of God. Like I said, it seems like this was probably a common occurrence Seemed like God visited them. They fellowship with God. They did it together. Adam and his wife, they were together. They were together as they enjoyed life. They were together as they fulfilled their God-given responsibilities. By the way, work was not a result of the fall. Work was something God gave man before the fall. You don't have to get up and go to work because of sin has entered the world. God has always given man responsibility and women a role to fulfill. In fact, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be, because we are creating the image of God. God works. God is a worker. God is always at work. And we are creating the image of God. And you'll never be satisfied being lazy. No doubt about that. Now, where is that in the, I don't know. It's just something I thought I'd say this morning. <coughs> But it seems like this is a common occurrence. They, they did all these things together. They worked together and they lived life together and they enjoyed the blessings of God together. All these things were together and then they sinned together and now they are hiding from God together. They, together they are hiding from the one who has given them life and has given them all things richly to enjoy. Do you know what's happening when they hide themselves in the trees, when they are, they are avoiding God and they're hiding themselves from God? Do you understand what's going on here? This couple together, they have abandoned worship together. They have distanced themselves from worshiping God together. They're distant in worship because of sin. They have distanced themselves from God. In fact, this is just a reminder. This is one of the first, first notes of it, and they were reminded of it all throughout the Word of God that sin really has one effect, and it's separation. Sin is only good for one thing, and that's to separate you from God and then to kill you. Because that's what... That's what it is when you're separated from God is death. Every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when uh, lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. But the first part of that text that James says is the first thing we're doing. We're what? We're drawn away. We're drawn away. That's why later James says, draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you sinners. And you double-minded. You know what he's saying right there? He said, if you're going to draw close to God, you're going to have to wash your hands. You're going to have to clean your heart. You're going to have to get clean with God because sin is what separates you from God. And listen to me and listen to me well. When couples abandon worshiping God together, there's only one reason. There's only one. We don't need to run a series of diagnostic tests. There's only one reason couples abandon worshiping God together. It's called sin. It's called sin. Is everybody okay? It's the only reason you don't worship God together and you don't worship God individually. It's sin. Because when there's sin, what comes with sin? There comes shame. 
They saw they were naked. They didn't know that before. They were innocent, right? But then their eyes were open, and nakedness always brings shame, or it ought to. A generation like ours that has had their conscience seared with a hot iron, they can run around naked and it don't bother them, but that's not natural. It's not natural for people to want to run around naked without being embarrassed about it. And when you have a generation that does and they can wear tight clothes and they want to show off their body and show off their nakedness and nudity is accepted, it is, it is, only, it is only the revelation that the conscience has been so seared that people do not feel the shame of sin any longer. But with nakedness comes shame. And with shame comes separation. I can't, I can't face God. I, I, I can't. Can't worship God. And by the way, the only way to worship God when there's shame in your life and sin in your life is to fake it. That's it. You gotta fake it. <clears throat> you gotta act like it. Because the only way to really worship God is out of a pure heart, a clean conscience. I'm glad you can come to God and get your heart clean. What did God do for them? He made them coats of skin, he covered up their shame and said, Listen, I still want to have fellowship with you. You've sinned. You've messed up, but that's okay. Let's come back together. Let's put this thing back together. The blood will cover it up, and we can still get together. The blood will take care of your sin. That way we can still... Man, I tell you what, that's good preaching right there. And ain't because I'm doing it. It's because of what I'm preaching. And that is this, I don't care what you've done or where you've been, get it under the blood and come back to God and fellowship. He shed His blood so we can fellowship. If you've sinned, confess it. Amen. Know that what 1 John 1, 9 says? Confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, if we have fellowship, something about walking in the light as He is in the light and the blood of His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Y'all remember reading something about that in 1 John 1? I'm thankful for the blood. Get it under the blood. In fact, there's some couples together, you need to get right with God today. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against each other. And the reason you have trouble worshiping God in a group like this and even worshiping God together when you are alone together is because the shame of sin has scarred your life. But I'm here to tell you, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can take care of all of it. Don't you want to get where you can fellowship together Together and you can fellowship with God and worship God the way God intended your home to be together. Amen. When couples stay away from church, there's only one reason. Sin. They've allowed sin in their life. The, the reason they can't come is because they come in. They don't have, some of y'all are sitting here and I'm glad you're here today, but you don't have anything to do while you're here. You're literally sitting here waiting for the, the bell to ring, if you will, so we can get out of here and you go home. You can't worship God because sin is in your life. You got sin. You sure can't worship together, can you? You're miserable, aren't you? If you're saved, you are. I'll tell you what, there was blood shed so you could fellowship with God. You don't have to be distant and worship. Listen, look up here. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide from God. You can hide in God. Amen. You don't have to be distant in worship. There's some families home. They're not here. The door's open. They ain't here. And I know I'm preaching to the ones that are, but listen to me. When you start feeling that, you start feeling that temptation to hide, to pull away 
from worshiping God together as a family. You want to pull away from your devotions at home. You want to pull away from your prayer time at home. You want to pull away from spiritual things. You want to pull away from the house of God. I'm going to tell you what that is. It's called sin. Sin is in your life and you need to get it right because it is natural. It is natural. It's breathing for the child of God to want to worship God together. And then when God makes you one flesh, isn't that just natural? Isn't that just logical? Doesn't that just make sense that you worship God together? You can't be one flesh the way God intended your relationship to be and not worship God together. There's husbands and wives. Some of them, they're hiding out together. The husband's enabling the wife. The wife's enabling the husband. And they're hiding out together. And I want you to notice this. How many of y'all still with me? Say amen. I want you to notice this. When they became distant from God, they became distant from each other. Because when God comes down and He talks to them and says, what in the world is going on around here? What does Adam say? Uh, This woman... You know, and I don't know what they were doing. This is how it's in my mind. I can just see them standing next to each other and God is confronting them. What has happened? What's going on? And Adam's saying, and he's scooting this way and he's over here and he's over here and he's like, yeah, that girl right way over there. Yeah, that you made me. And I know he's blaming God indirectly, but do you notice that the further that couple gets away from God, the further they get away from each other? And it's always that. It's always that. I'm going to tell you what. Any other realm that you and your spouse fellowship on and around, it is absolutely superficial without the spiritual. It's superficial. It's, 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 it's shallow is what I'm trying to say. If you want the deepest connection with your spouse you've ever had, worship God together. Fellowship around spiritual things, it will literally revolutionize every part of your marriage. I promise you it will. Somebody showed me this. You may have seen that. Have you ever seen the triangle? You ever seen that? And God's at the top. And a husband and wife's here on the corners. And the closer each of them get to God, what happens? The closer they get to each other. And that's exactly what's going on. And by the way, can I just give you another observation? Now you know why I'm only preaching a couple of them here. When God comes into that garden, He doesn't say... They sinned together, didn't they? They they experienced shame together, didn't they? They hid themselves together, right? But when God came to that garden, He didn't say, Adam and Eve, where art thou? What did He say? Adam. One old boy is responsible. Boy, you in charge. You're in charge. Hey, Daddy, listen. Husbands, listen to me. It's on you. In fact, the New Testament says this about Adam. It says, by one man's disobedience, sin into the world. Oh, Adam didn't even do it first. But it's one man's disobedience. It's on Adam. Eve is not responsible for the fall of humanity. Adam is. Amen. Anybody, everybody okay? It's on Adam. Daddy, it's on you. Husbands, you got to lead your home in worshiping God together. If you don't do it, it won't get done. 
And I know sometimes the, 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 the wife is a little more spiritual, and that's okay, but it still has to be on the daddy to fulfill that responsibility and to fulfill that role. God's, hey, listen, daddy. God's, listen, daddy. Hey, listen, daddy. God's holding you responsible for this thing. Do you believe in the judgment seat at all? Do you believe there is one? You believe you're going to have to stand before God and give an account one day? For the stuff you let in your home? Amen. The way we, I'm telling you what is a scourge on our society today. We may only preach one point this morning. That'd be all right. That just means I won't have to study the next couple of weeks. It's fine with me. I'll sleep in. You listening to me? A scourge on our society today. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's passivity in men. The feminization of men. Passivity. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if I can prove it exactly in this text. Look, look at your Bible just a second. Genesis 3. I don't know if I can exactly pin it down and prove it. But I think, I think Adam was there the whole time when that serpent was talking to Eve. Because they're together. They're not separated at all. The serpent comes and he talks to the woman. My question is, Where's Adam at? I think he's right there. Why ain't he saying anything? Why is Adam just sitting by and letting this serpent talk to his wife like that? And when that woman goes to pick that fruit and begin to eat, where, what, what is Adam even doing? The reason I think Adam is right there because the Bible says in verse number 6 that she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband. He st- when she took a bite, He's standing right there. He's within arm's length. When she gave him, she gave him that, that fruit. He's right there because verse 7 says, the eyes of them, what? Both were open. Their eyes were open at the same time, which leads me to believe they ate at the same time. It wasn't her eyes open, then his eyes open. The devil is talking to your wife and you ain't got nothing to say? The devil trying to destroy your home and you ain't got nothing to say? Is anybody as mad as I am about it? The first man sitting in his recliner Watching his football game while the devil wrecks his home and it's within earshot, it's within arm's length, it's in sight. He doesn't even do anything about it. Passive men who let their wives run the show. I'm about to make this is, let me go ahead and put a little disclaimer on here. This is not politically correct. Let me put another disclaimer on here. I don't care. I could care less. 
I'm here to tell you, because when God come to Adam, He told him why he's in trouble. Verse 17, and, Adam, he, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Daddy, he said, Adam, you should have been talking to her. Instead, she was talking to you. Amen. The roles getting all mixed up. And the scourge of our society, we have a bunch of Ahabs living with Jezebels in these days. We got Ahabs. Yeah, honey, whatever you say, whatever you want to do. And what's amazing, some of these men, they actually think they're men because they drive a big truck and they can go out in the woods and kill something and drag it. And they drag it and they think, oh, man, I'm macho and I'm manly. I can skin a deer and I can catch a fish and I can you know, camp outside or whatever. And then your little wife says, no, our daughter's going to wear this and you ain't going to say nothing about it. You say, okay. No, we're not going to church. We're not going to Sunday school. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. Boopy doop boop 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 boop. We're not giving that money to the church. Okay, all right. Daddy, you're responsible. It's on you. Everything that comes in your home is on you. Everything your children wear is on you. Amen. Everywhere they go is on you. Some of y'all, you tie up your dog, but you let your kids run around wherever they want to go. You take more care of Fifi and Fido... You let them have internet access to everything they want. They can go sit in their room and at midnight and 2 o'clock in the morning doing all kind of Snapchat stuff. Look up here. Wicked as hell. Wicked as hell itself. And I'm not cussing. I'm preaching. That's wicked as hell itself. And daddy, you let it in your home. You're just as wicked. You will not stand up and say, we're not doing this. Just as wicked, you need to get right with God. That's why you sit here like a little spaghetti noodle during church. You don't have any confidence and courage to raise your hand, worship God, say amen, stand up, have confidence to actually have a spiritual wall. It's because you are a spineless, spineless, passive man. Amen. Amen. A real man, it's not how many deer you whatever, or what kind of four-wheel drive, you know, whatever... All that kind of stuff. That's not a real man. Real men guard their home and don't let the devil seduce their wives. Amen. It's a strong word this morning, ain't it? Some of y'all are hiding in the book. You're back here hiding, hiding around. You know what's great? When you get to come out. Say, God, I've been stupid. I've been sorry, but I ain't going to do it no more. Lord, I want your blood. Give me that coat. Put it on me. Cover me up so I can fellowship with you. And walk in the light. Oh, it's great. As he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. It's a wonderful thing. And be the man in your home. You don't have to be distant in worship. Amen. I'm going to preach that second one. Give me ten minutes. Eight minutes.
Go to 2 Samuel 6 real quick. Because they go together. i got to preach the second one. They go together. 2 Samuel 6. I'm not going to read the whole text just for sake of time. but There's a couple that is distant in worship. That's Adam and Eve. And I'm just going to hit this one real quick. There's a couple that's divided in worship. Divided in worship. One worshiping God while the other's making fun. That's David. I'm not going to read the whole text, but 2 Samuel 6, you can start around verse number 12. David's bringing the ark of God home. The ark of God represents the presence of God, just like we had in Genesis 3. This is the presence of God. And what does David do? Gladness. He's shouting. He's rejoicing. He's dancing with all his might. He's worshiping God. And look at verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael saw his daughter look through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. You got the husband worshiping God and the wife up there thinking, what an idiot. My question is, was she sitting up there in the window doing? Why wasn't she down there with David? Why ain't they worshiping together? I'm going to tell you what they are. They're divided in worship. And the 15 years I've pastored, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, where you got one, and sometimes it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife. I know in this text it's David and Michael, but sometimes, sometimes you got one, they want to serve God. They want to worship God. They want to go all out for God. But you got the other over here that says, nope, we ain't doing it. That's a heartbreaking thing. Some of y'all know what it's like to have to come to church by yourself. I'm not trying to single anybody out or make anybody embarrassed. I'm just telling you, my heart goes out to you. I pray for you. In fact, there's scriptures that tell wives if they have unbelieving husbands or whatever, how to, how to behave and how to act. And I say, follow them and do what's right. Trust God. But at the same time, you need to know this. What's, that, that's understandable when there's lost people involved. Some people, they got married as lost people, and then, they got, and then they, they got, one of them got saved and the other one didn't. Everybody okay? Sometimes you have a saved person that backslides and marries a lost person when they shouldn't have. By the way, that's the only kind of saved person that would marry a lost person is a backslidden saved person because that's forbidden in the Scripture. It's forbidden for a saved person to marry a lost person. Y'all know that's forbidden in the Scripture. That's just like a man married a man's forbidden. A saved person to marry a lost person's forbidden. It's just as bad. It's just as unbiblical, just as unscriptural. Okay. But then they get right with God. And now what do they do? I can understand that. That's understandable. What breaks my heart more than anything is when you got two people that both say they're saved. One wants to go all the way with God. One wants to worship God like David danced with all of his might, give it everything. In fact, isn't that what the Bible says, how we ought to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our what? All our might, give it everything we have. Somebody wants to go all out, but the other one says, they put the brakes on. And you're one flesh. Guess what happens? You ain't going far. You ain't going far. That's why I listen to me. I know I'm preaching long and hard this morning, but listen to me. You better be careful who you marry. 
Because you marry somebody that ain't serious about going all the way with God, you only going so far. And that's just the truth. That is just the God's honest truth. You're only going so far. But woe be to that spouse. Woe be. I'm talking about it's going to be a bad day at the judgment seat for that spouse that is held back their partner from going all the way with God. It's going to be a bad day. In fact, you know what God did to Michael? Made her barren. She couldn't have any kids. She was so worried about the reproach. What are people going to think about us? What are people going to say about us? And God said, all right, I'll give you the greatest reproach a woman could have. You won't be able to have any children. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't worry about what people think. I would just go all the way with God and she accused, now there's so many things here. She accused them of uncovering himself. The Bible said he had a linen ephod on. You know what that linen ephod was? That was spiritual clothes. That was priestly clothes. Obviously, what he did was he took off his kingly robes and he put on those, took off his carnal robes and, put, and kept on his spiritual robes. But when Michael saw it, she only could recognize carnal and carnality. And as long as if he didn't have that, then he didn't have anything at all. She couldn't recognize spiritual things. She was so carnal. In fact, the Bible goes, if you can go back in 1 Samuel, the Bible tells us that Michael loved David. David was killing Philistines and whooping giants, and man, he's big and strong, and man, he could play banjos, and man, he looked like Fabio or whatever. She said, oh, man, he's so handsome. She just fell head over heels in love with him. But he wasn't just a warrior. David was a worshiper. Michael loved David when he was whooping Philistines and killing giants. But when he's worshiping God, she said, whoa, I ain't going there. I'm not doing that. And they were divided in worship. And I don't know why Michael had problems with worship. You know, she wasn't raised around real worship. Her dad was a fake worshiper. That's what she was raised in, hypocrisy and fakeness. Maybe that's why she had a problem with it. You know, she missed out on David's big struggle because when, when he left Saul's home, he left his wife. In fact, Michael ended up being given to another man to be married. And the whole time, while David was living in a cave and he was on the run and he was struggling for his life and struggling with his identity and struggling with God's will for his life and all kind of things. Guess what? Michael wasn't there for any of those things. And so, you know what? You know what that means? She didn't understand. She might have not understood David. She didn't understand what it was like for David to finally realizing God's plan for his life. Saul is dead. The ark of God is home. He can't contain himself. Michael wasn't there for that struggle when she doesn't realize it. But I'm going to tell you, here's what it really all comes down to. Michael just didn't know God personally. She didn't know God. Worship meant nothing to her and worship was a part of David's life that she didn't want to be a part of but I love what David and Miss Maddie you can come to the piano I'm done I love what I love what David does I love this look at verse 21 and David said unto Michael it was before the Lord oh man I like that you know hey how many of y'all still with me listen you know what David told Michael? He's like, oh, you didn't like that? It wasn't for you. 
Oh, I'm sorry. He's talking smack, and I don't know if he might be in the flesh by now. He might be out of the spirit now. I don't know. He said, Yeah, the same Lord that chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over all the people of the Lord over Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. He said, It wasn't for you, it wasn't about you. If you don't like it, you can go talk to your dad. Oh, he's dead. You can go to his kingdom. Oh, it's my kingdom now. Sorry about that. It's pretty rough, ain't it? And I like verse 22. And I will yet be more vile than thus. Can I put that in North Carolina language right there? You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. You think that was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. And will be base in mine own sight. Oh, there's so much here. The maid servants without spoken. Of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. Can I just sum up all that real quick and then give you a little thought on that? Here's what, here's what David said. David said, Michael, if you're making me choose between you and God, I choose God. And I know this is hard to hear, and I know this is a tough pill to swallow. I understand all that, but listen. If you got to choose between a spouse and God, look up here. Choose God. Choose God. That's always the right choice. Always the right choice. And I'm so thankful. I can't tell you how thankful I am for a wife that has never made me choose between her and God. I've never had to make that choice before. Some of you sitting in here, you know what that's like. And our marriage isn't perfect. I'm not putting our marriage up. I'm just saying that I, I may have made her choose between me and God before. I hope not. But that's, I'm just saying she's never done that to me. I've never felt that in our marriage. I've never had to say, say man, I, well, I, I can do what's right or I can make you happy. I've never had to make that choice. But I'll put her on notice, and she already knows this, and I'll let everybody else know this too. If I ever have to, I'm choosing God. I'm His. He's the one that saved me. She didn't save me. He's the one that called me. She didn't call me. He's the one that keeps me, sustains me. He's the one that blesses me. He is the giver of everything good. I don't worship her. I worship Him. I don't worship my marriage. I worship God. And if you ever got to choose between the two, choose God. And I want to ask you this question, and I'm done. If your marriage is not spiritual, if you can't worship God together, and this isn't a guilt trip question, this is, just, this is literally a heart-probing question, I hope, and that is this. Are you the reason? Is it you? Or is it both of you? But is it, but is it you, though? Are you the reason? Would your spouse be able to go further with God if it weren't for you holding, holding them back, holding her back? Are you the reason your marriage isn't spiritual if it's not? That's a horrible place to be, a divided home. One wants to serve God and the other doesn't care anything about it. 
One wants to be obedient and the other wants to be rebellious. One wants to love the Word of God and live the Word of God. The other wants to buck the Word of God and buck the preacher and buck the church and just be rebellious. That's a horrible place to be. I want to tell you what, if you've got to come to church without a spouse, come to church without them. Amen. If you've got to serve God without them, serve God without them. But listen, what if God can do a work in your home? He can if you let him. You don't have to be distant in worship. You don't have to be divided in worship. Garrett, I want you to put that Psalm 34 back up there. We're going to end with the verse we started at. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I'm thankful for all the things that you and your spouse can do together. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a gift from God, that fellowship. But can you do that together? Can you do that? I'm pointing at the verse. Can you do that together? If not, why not? Let's stand together all over the building.